Well, Jesus is Lord. Praise Him with hallelujahs. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of Lord and the King of kings. And He is the Lord of the Sabbath. And He is Lord of all. So please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12. And we'll read verses 1 through 8, our passage for this morning. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you have known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. We'll just read up to there. Now, in our study of the Gospel of Matthew, we've already seen the first ten chapters. Really, the, Jesus was presented to us as the King, as, as Messiah. And then in chapter 11, we started to see that there were some doubts about who, whether he truly is the king, uh, the coming Messiah, uh, expressed by the indifference of those in, uh, living in the cities in which most of his miracles took place. Uh, chapter 12 is really a watershed chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, of course, here we see really the official rejection of Jesus as Christ by the religious leaders. Um, now last week, if you may remember, we saw that in spite of the indifferent unbelief of those in the cities where Jesus did most of his miracles, Jesus still praised the Father because he knows that the Father is sovereign in salvation, that uh, the one, he is the one who hides these things Remember the things that are necessary for salvation from the wise and the learned and reveals them to the little ones. Uh, we said that he really hides it from the, the proud and the self-reliant and he reveals it to the humble and the dependent. Uh, for that is what is pleasing in his sight. That is his divine prerogative, his sovereign way. Uh, furthermore, we, we saw that all things were handed over to Jesus, to Christ. He knows the Father, and the Father knows Him. And they know each other completely and intimately. And the Son had the authority to reveal the Father to whom He wills. Uh, and instead of telling us who that may be, Jesus invites us to come to Him. He invites all the, the weary and, and heavy laden to come to Him with the promise that He would give them rest for their souls. 
Furthermore, he commands those who come to take upon themselves his yoke and to learn from him. That is, come, come to me, said Jesus. Take my yoke. Yoke yourself to me. Learn from me. And you will find that I am meek and humble in heart. And you will find that uh, you will have rest for your souls. And you will find that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, now in stark contrast to that, the Pharisees offered that you can come to God. You can come to know God. You can be right with God. You can have fellowship with God if you... Keep all of the law. But the problem was, or the problem was and is, none of us can. No man can keep the law. The law of Moses was given by God, it's God's law through Moses, and God's law revealed God's righteousness to us, His righteous requirements. His requirements of Israel, who was in covenant relationship with him, on how they should approach him and maintain fellowship with him. However, the law only ever condemns. It always condemns. It always kills. It never saves. Not that there's a problem with the law. The law is holy and righteous and good says Romans 7.12. But the problem is us, mankind. We are sinners, fallen creatures, really disabled by sin, maimed by sin, which prevents us from living according to God's righteous standards. And so the law always condemns us. It always kills us. It kills us in this life. It kills us in the sense that it kills our joy, our hope, our love, our peace. Because when we try and live by it, every time we fail, every time we sin, our conscience accuses us. We feel guilty. Our shame is before us. And the penalty of sin, which is death, is before us. And so the law brings us no joy, no peace in this life. Unless, of course, we use it lawfully. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that. Again, the law is not what is bad. It is holy, righteous, and good. It is, however, relentless in showing us our sin, revealing to us our sins. So the law kills us in this life and the law kills us in the life to come. It condemns us eternally. Perfect righteousness is required to be right with God, to be in fellowship with God. And failure to attain God's standards of righteousness condemns us really eternally. First of all, it kills us spiritually, then it kills us physically, and ultimately it kills us eternally, separating us from God because of our unrighteousness. Now, the purpose of the law was for Israel to know God, to know His righteousness, His holiness, His justice, and, of course, for them to know their own 
sinfulness. And so the purpose of the, God, of the law was really to lead Israel to God. It was given to them by God to keep them for God. Like, like a teacher and a guardian who, who taught them about God and about their own shortcomings, uh, as we read in Galatians 3, 23 to 26. The law showed them their desperate condition and pointed them to the one, the only one, who was able to help them and save them. That is God himself. And so for those who were living under the law, who would come in humility and faith, bringing the prescribed sacrifice for their sin and throw themselves on the mercy of God, not based on their own merits, on their own achievements in, in keeping the law, but purely based on the mercy of God, asking Him to forgive them. To them, He would grant forgiveness. He could grant them forgiveness. He was righteous and just to grant them forgiveness. Not because of, the, again, their merits, not even because of the sacrifices they brought. Because the blood of goats and, and bulls cannot cleanse us from sin. You see, under the old covenant, one was saved really on the same basis as one is saved in the new covenant. And that is by faith and God's grace. Faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because His blood alone can atone for sin. Only Christ's sacrifice. And so in the old covenant, when a believer comes and he throws himself at the mercy of God, having brought his sacrifices with a, with a, with a, with a sincere heart, then God will forgive him because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Really, a sacrifice that was still to come and was applied retrospectively to those under the old covenant, who came by faith. Now, instead of using the law lawfully, that is according to God's purposes, the religious leaders, the scribes and the rabbis over the years, in their zeal to obey the Lord, the law rather, sought to interpret and clarify every law God gave. So that every eventuality in life would be covered. And because of that, they started to lay layer upon layer upon God's law, really secondary laws, their interpretations, their rules, their regulations, their restrictions. And though it was done in an attempt to clarify the requirements of the law, it actually obscured the law. It actually diluted the law. It actually distorted God's law. It made it less than what God intended it to be. They actually lowered the standards of God. And they also, it also made it more than what God commanded. They added their interpretations and their explanations and then held them up equal to the law of God. So that in reality, it became the law of God 
to Israel. Now, if you fail to keep one of their laws, their interpretations, then in their eyes, it is if you have actually transgressed God's law, God's commandment. And so their commandments really distort the standard of God's righteousness and the intent of God's law. As we saw in, in Matthew 5-7, to when, when Jesus pointed out all the, the, the failures of their interpretations. And so these rabbinic commandments, these, these laws, the Pharisaic laws, really was a heavy burden on the people of God that was forced upon them by the Israelites, as we saw in, in or will see in Matthew 23, 4. It was an unbearable yoke, as, we, as what Peter said in Acts 15, 10. And so the words of Jesus inviting them to come, come to me, because my yoke is easier, my burden is life. This, this invitation to life, this invitation to joy, this invitation to hope and peace must have been music to the ears of those who had ears to listen, who had ears to hear. And also by making the law less than what God intended it to be, it allowed the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, at least in their own minds, to think that they can fulfill the law of God and therefore attain for themselves a standard of righteousness which they reckon would make them acceptable to God, pleasing to God. And really nowhere under Pharisaic Judaism was the yoke more difficult and the burden more heavy than when it came to the Sabbath. There was, there's an incredible number of laws governing an astonishing number of eventualities or events that governs really the conduct of what is allowed on the Sabbath. And really God gave them the Sabbath as a rest day. He gave it to them as a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, a day to remember God as, as their creator, <clears throat> And a day of rest, day to remember what they have forfeited, that mankind has forfeited through sin. And so the law, the commandment to keep the Sabbath is not a moral law. It's a ceremonial law. They were to cease all normal work activity on that day. That's really what Sabbath means. It means rest or a cessation of, of work. And so that they can spend the day focused on God, worshiping and serving God. But in order to define what it means to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, the rabbis throughout the century has amassed this body of legislation that really beggars believe. They established 39 categories of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath. Each of one had numerous clarifications and exceptions. In, in the Talmud, 
Talmud, rather, there's one section, and there are more than one section. I think there are two sections, but in this one section, there are 24 chapters explaining the different laws of the Sabbath. One rabbi spent two and a half years studying just one of those chapters to make sense of all he said. Now, you do the math. 24 chapters, two and a half years. That's a lifetime of study. And that's just in that one section. And so just to give you some examples of that. For instance, the law of Moses prohibit travel on the Sabbath. Fair enough. But, but what constitutes travel on the Sabbath? And so they figured out it's about 2,000 paces. No more than a kilometer. Why that distance? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. But if you would deposit food on the Friday, the day before Sabbath, at the end of 2,000 paces, then on the Sabbath you can walk those 2,000 paces Eat a meal, which would then constitute it being a home because there was food. And then you can go another 2,000 paces. So really, with careful planning, you can walk all over Palestine on a, on a Sabbath. Um, another example. The law forbid one to work on the Sabbath. But what is work? Now, obviously... Some things are very obvious about what work is. But, but what about the important things? Like, like when a man walks and he spits on the ground. Does that constitute work? Well, it depends. If your spit falls in the dirt and makes a little furrow, that's plowing. That's against the law. But if it falls on the rock, fine. That's not work. The law further forbids that you would carry a load on the Sabbath. So, what is a load? Well, some said it's no as a weight no more than a dried fig or something like But what about a piece of clothing? Is that a load? And so they determined that if a piece of clothing was worn on your body then it was not clothing. But if you carried it, then it's a load and you're not allowed to do it. So on a hot day, if you want to move your coat from one room to the other, you have to put it on and wear it to the other room and take it off again. That is not work. Otherwise, if you carry it over, that is work and you have broken the Sabbath law. And so it goes on and on and on. It was a heavy burden, a, a difficult yoke to bear. Now with... With that as background, we'll come to our passage this morning. And we see really three steps that escalated in the opposition that Christ faced from the Pharisees. And we see in the first couple of verses the accusation that was leveled against Jesus. Then we see his admonition of the Pharisees before going on to make some assertions of his lordship. Um, so let us look at 
first the accusation of the Pharisees. Verses 1 and 2. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. And so the official opposition, the rejection of Jesus Christ as, or Jesus as Christ, Jesus as the King, by the religious leaders, was really triggered by this incident in a field of grain on a Sabbath. There was sin on the Sabbath, according to them. Verse 1 tells us that at that time, now that doesn't mean a specific time, as in chronologically, most likely after, chronologically after uh, what has happened before. But it, the word actually means not a specific time. It's sort of a season or a period of time. So basically one can interpret that at that time during Jesus' ministry in Galilee, at one time he and his disciples were in a grain field on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry. And so they started picking some grain from the field to feed themselves. And lo and behold, would you believe it, there were some Pharisees who saw it. Now, it may be that they were just passing by, be there at the same time in the same place, or more likely that they were following him, seeking to accuse him, because they really had murderous intent in their hearts. We read further down in the chapter verse 14 that they took counsel. They conspired against him. Not interested in helping him, correcting him, setting him straight. No, but seeking to destroy him, to kill him. And so they saw the disciples eating grain and accused Jesus of permitting his disciples to do something unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, picking grains from a field when you're traveling was, was perfectly legal according to the law of God. Lord, the Lord made this gracious provision for travelers. Remember, in those days there were no McDonald's or fast foods where you can quickly stop and get a bite to eat. But the, So the Lord made this provision that you were walking through the field and you were hungry. You were allowed to take some of the grain from grain fields or even from the vine, some grapes, to, to satisfy your hunger, but you were not allowed to use tools. So you can't go there with a sickle and, and harvest yourself a little uh, area for you to eat, nor, nor use a basket to gather. It, it was purely a provision for you to satisfy your immediate hunger. And so it can't be that that was unlawful. They were traveling. Perhaps they were traveling more than 2,000 paces that was allowed on the Sabbath. Um, but nothing is mentioned of that here. Uh, and really, if they were guilty of it, then the Pharisees would probably have been guilty of that transgression themselves. Uh, the issue was that they saw what the disciples did as work, as breaking their law of working on the Sabbath. Now, according to the order of bread, one of the 39 orders or the 39 laws that regulated the Sabbath, plucking a stalk of grain would be harvesting. Rubbing the grain in your hand to dislodge the kernels would be threshing. Blowing that chaff away would be winnowing. 
And so according to them, they were breaking the Sabbath law. They were preparing a meal for themselves. Now, real harvesting would have been against the commandment of God. Uh, it would be a bit work. But that is not harvesting. That is feeding yourself while hungry and traveling. But the eagle-eyed, evil-hearted Pharisees were ready to accuse Jesus. And so they said his disciples were breaking the Sabbath law. And Jesus admonished them. He said, verse 3, But he said to them, Have you not read what David did? When he became hungry, he and his companions, and how he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? And so really Jesus admonished them for their ignorance and also their insincerity, their really their inconsistency, their hypocrisy. So first, Jesus admonished them for their ignorance. You'll see here that Jesus did not engage with them with arguments against their interpretation of the law. Nor did he debate with them their traditions. He simply pointed to Scripture. And man, he had an authoritative command of the Scriptures. He knew the Scriptures very well. He had great understanding and insight into the Word of God. And so he asked them, have you not read what David did? Now people, that must have stung their ears. Have we not read? we professionals, man. We, we study the Bible for a living. How, what is this have I not, not read? But Jesus was not questioning their devotion in studying the Bible. He was questioning their understanding of what they were reading. They read without comprehension. They were so focused on fulfilling their man-made laws, they were focused on achieving their own righteousness, that they totally missed the heart of God in the Scriptures. And so Jesus quoted or pointed back to this incident. Have you not read about David? Just on a side note, how do you read the Bible? How do I read the Bible? I wonder if any of us would have thought of this passage when confronted with this question as Jesus was. This is you know, this well-known historic event in David's life. Many of us read our Bibles and we get up and when someone asks us, what did you read? Often we, we can't remember a thing. We can't remember even what we read. We can't explain what we read and the significance of what we read. Have you done that? Don't answer it loud. But people, that is not reading your Bible. That's, that's legalism. That's going through the motions 
with a heart far from God, with a mind elsewhere, not engaged with God. But Jesus asked them, have you not read about David? He's referencing an, an, an incident in David's life that Samuel records for us in 1 Samuel 21, verse 1 to 6. David and his companions were fleeing Saul. Saul was seeking to kill David. David, who was really the legitimate king of Israel, the, the anointed king of Israel, and yet hated by the ruler of Israel at that time. You think, hmm, notice any parallels already? Jesus, the true king of Israel, opposed by the religious leaders seeking to destroy him. Anyway, David and his men arrived at Nob, which is about a few miles north of Jerusalem, where the Ark of the Covenant was, and the priest Ahimelech. And they were tired, and they were hungry. And it reads that how David went into the house of God and took consecrated bread and ate it and gave it to his companions. Now, the consecrated bread was, was really the show bread. There were 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and they were placed in the in a holy place uh, to represent uh, Israel before God and also to say that Israel has fellowship with God. And these loaves were replaced every Sabbath. So every Sabbath, the old ones were taken out and fresh ones was, was put down. And the old ones was for the use of the priest alone. No one else was allowed to eat of that bread. We read all of that in Leviticus 24, 5-9. Now, Ahimelech gave this consecrated bread to David and his companions to eat. Now, it's not clear if, if it was bread that was already taken out of the holy place or whether it was the fresh bread that was before the Lord. Jesus' words indicated that David was the one who entered into the house of God, which would be the tabernacle because the temple was not built at that time. And he took some of this bread and he ate and gave it to those with him. But of course, as we read in 1 Samuel, it sounds like Ahimelech was the one who gave them the bread. But David, in the minds of Israel, was a highly esteemed character, including the religious leaders. I mean, he was a man after God's own heart. He was, he was really the model Israelite king and the one to whom God promised that one from his descendants, the son of David, would one day be ruling over all of Israel. And you may remember that many called Jesus son of David. Now the point Jesus was making here by quoting or pointing to this passage was not that David broke the Sabbath but that he took consecrated bread to satisfy his need and the need of those with him. He was saying really that the ceremonial law of God was subservient to the need of a human. The need for food 
overrode God's liturgical provision. Remember I said, ceremonial. this is ceremonial laws, this is not moral law. And so David and his men were not starving, they were just very hungry. And so this makes a very powerful argument that if these men's hunger was set, basically set aside a divine regulation without blame, how much more should those disciples of Jesus, when they were hungry and eat of the grain, how much more should that they not be allowed to set aside a rabbinical law in order to do that? The point that Jesus made was, if the Pharisees really understood what they read in the Scriptures, if they really understood the Word of God, then they would have known that God's law in general, and specifically the law on the Sabbath, was given for man's benefit. It was not to hurt or to harm or to hinder. God's law was given to help people. That is His heart. And we read in, in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, a parallel account to this where Mark adds that the Sabbath, that Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so the point, as I said, is that Jesus is saying that David, your hero David, he really transgressed a divine law, a ceremonial law, but a divine law when he was hungry to meet his need. How much more the son of David and his disciples cannot break a rabbinical law on the Sabbath by eating grain from, from the field. And so he admonished them for their ignorance and he admonished them for their insincerity or the inconsistency. Have you not read verse 5? In the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent. And so Jesus was saying to them, you guys have double standards. You are inconsistent. You are hypocritical with your rabbinic laws. For the priests work on the Sabbath. They profane the Sabbath according to your laws, and yet they are innocent before God. In fact, the priests had to work twice as hard on the Sabbath. They had to change the, the 12 loaves of bread. They had to burn incense. They, they had to bring a double burnt offering on a Sabbath. They had to make a fire and stoke the fire on the altar. Then they had to slaughter the lambs and they had to carry the lamb, the slaughtered lamb, to the altar. Then they had to remove the ashes afterwards. And again, all of that violated the law of God of the Sabbath, not to work on the Sabbath, let alone the rabbinical laws. And yet they were innocent before God. And so Jesus' point was that service to God take precedence over His Sabbath laws. Again, the Sabbath law was not a moral law. It's a ceremonial law. A time set aside to remember God and to draw near to God. And those who draw near would, through the 
ceremonial prescriptions at that time. That is how you would draw near to God. You would bring your sacrifice and to the, to the priest. And because of the sacrificial system, if you had to draw near to God, guess what? Somebody had to work. Somebody had to slaughter that animal. Somebody had to offer that animal. Somebody had to work. And Jesus was admonishing them and saying, you read the law, but you are blind to the law. You are ignorant and insincere. And then Jesus continued and he made this incredible three assertions of his lordship. Verse 6, but I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Really, Jesus made three assertions here to those who had ears to hear. He's saying really, in essence to them, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. And he says that I am the one who is greater than the temple. I am the one who knows the heart of God. I am the one who is Lord of the Sabbath. And so the first one says, I am the one greater than the temple. Really, it reads there that something greater than the temple is here. And really, that something is, is, should be, well, it's written something, but it's in reference to someone. That is a reference to him and the work of redemption that he came to fulfill. Really, the temple at that time represented God's presence. A place where you would go to meet with God, to fellowship with God, to worship God. And Jesus was really saying that he was doing a greater work than the work that was done in the temple. He says someone greater, something greater than the temple is here. That is a profound statement. And of course, it will be further revealed to them over time. But it was incredibly significant what God was doing through Jesus was greater surpassed by far what he did in giving his temple and the sacrificial system of worship those things pointed to him Jesus was God incarnate he was Emmanuel God with us and he came to fulfill all that the law pointed to. The temple, he will replace the temple with his body. The high priest, he is now our high priest. The sacrifices, he is now the once for all sacrifice to take away the sin and cleanse our consciences. The Sabbath wrath, he is our Sabbath rest. He is greater than the temple, for He is God, the very presence of God. And so, come to me, was what Jesus was saying. 
come to me. Because I am greater than the temple and I am the one who knows the heart of God. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not a sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Remember back in chapter 11, verse 27, 28, the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father deeply, comprehensively, unequally, because they are one. And He has the authority to reveal the Father to whom He wills. And He wanted the Pharisees to see the heart of God. They were so blinded by the light of their own self-righteousness. They were so enamored by the sacrifices of their own devotion that they missed the heart of God. Jesus quotes here, really Hosea 6.6 in saying that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. It is the practice of mercy, the practice of compassion that should mark out the people of God. Not this rigid observance of external religious regulations. No matter how sacred they were, God prioritizes His moral law, love, mercy, compassion, righteousness over His ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws in regards to the worship system and the Sabbath and other feasts. If you do that, if you come to God offering all of these things, observing all of these things, but you are void of love for God, God would rather have you have a heart of mercy than to bring a sacrifice to Him. That's, that's in essence what He is saying here. Not that he's saying you should not bring it, but you should bring it with the right heart. He says, if you, if you are focused on all these external regulations, then you, would be, you become legalistic. You become judgmental. And the Lord is looking for someone with a humble heart, with a compassionate heart, with a merciful heart. See, the former would be quick to judge, quick to condemn, because you are not doing what you're supposed to do. While the latter is one would take one burden and bring them to the Lord, bring them to God. And so they were condemning his disciples for not obeying this tiny little rabbinical laws that they have concocted in order to try and obey it. While these disciples were innocent, Jesus pronounced them innocent. Because why? They came to Him, to God. By following Him, they were following God incarnate. And He goes on and says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. This is probably one of the most clearly ways of saying that I am God to them. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man we saw is a favorite designation of Jesus, of Himself, uh, really a messianic title taken from Daniel 7. He says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, Lord in Greek can be used in many ways, but really it means one who has authority. In this context, He's saying that I have supreme authority over the Sabbath. 
The Father handed all things to me. And now I am telling you that I rule over the Sabbath. Because I know the Father and the Father knows me. And because I am Emmanuel. I am God with us. The Sabbath is my Sabbath. I instituted it. I get to say how it should be observed. And the reason I gave it was to be a rest day for my people. A day of worship and to me as the creator. A day of reflection on the rest that was lost after the fall. A rest that I am busy restoring to you. It is a sign of my covenant with you that I am God and you are my people. And the basis of God's covenant with Israel was really the Ten Commandments, His righteous requirements. And so the first three laws relates that Jesus summarized as loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the first set of commandments. Then Commandments 5 to 10 really summarizes that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And the fourth commandment, to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy, is in between those two. And it's just, Jesus was saying, love me on, and love your neighbor on the Sabbath. Love me and do what is right towards me and also what is right to your neighbor. When they are in need, help them. And so he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am God incarnate. I am the one who commanded it. I am the one who first practiced it at creation. I'm the one who gave it to you. And I'm telling you how it should be observed. And it was never meant to prevent people from taking care of their need. It was never meant, that's David's example, it was never meant to stop people working for God. That is the priest. It was never meant to stop anyone from showing mercy to others. And literally the next section, Jesus goes ahead and he heals a man with a withered hand, showing mercy on the Sabbath, and for that they wanted to kill him. And so this incident on that day, that fateful Sabbath day, really sparked the religious leaders into full-blown hostility and opposition for violating their laws. And violating the holy grail of their legalistic system, which was the Sabbath, was just too much for them to bear. And so they bared their teeth and they snarled at the Son of God, the King of Israel, the Lord of all. People, there is no deeper anger, no greater hate, no fiercer hostility aroused as that in those who have set their hope in their own righteousness and then being confronted with the mercy and grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the lesson for us today is that 
Jesus is God. Jesus knew the heart of God. Jesus incarnate knows the heart of God because he is God. And he desires mercy and not sacrifice. And he's standing before us this morning. And if you have found yourself that you are becoming or have become legalistic in your relationship with God, with Christ, that is based on rules that I should and shouldn't be doing, and you've missed Him. He is asking you, He's inviting you, come to me today, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. That means submit to me and learn from me. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You will find me meek and humble and I will give you rest for your souls. A rest that is found only in Christ. So come to me. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of all. Amen. Praise God for His grace in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for, for loving us. Lord, thank you for loving us and sending Jesus, Lord, to step out of heaven, to take on flesh, Lord, to live in this world, this fallen world, among fallen people, Lord, and yet did so sinlessly so that you could present and sacrifice that is pleasing and acceptable for the forgiveness of sin, not your own, but that your gift, your sacrifice could be applied to others, to those whom you will to reveal yourself to. And Lord, we thank you that you invite us to come. Lord, help us that we would not get tripped up with with rules and regulations, but that we would come to you, that we would learn from you, that we would be yoked to you. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.